Hi, Avery. Thanks for following up. It was great to talk to you on the Zoom and also in person. You have a lot of passion and good attributes, which will get you far. As of today, we have filled the position, but we'll definitely keep you in mind for future opportunities here or other places in the industry. I've received hundreds of these emails, yet this one hurts the most. Why? Honestly, I don't know. I guess it's the fact that money is running low, I always feel like my time is running short, and this, out of, out of all the others, could have finally done it. Ended my lifelong search for stability. Gave me a chance to enjoy a little life instead of spending it worried about how much money's in the bank. Funny, I spent a lot of time running from the good job, the vacation days, the benefits, etc., etc., I'm going to get into the film business and make something of myself and work my way up and meet producers and network and become the next big thing. And here it is, a coordinator job, one that works hand in hand with producers from all over the industry. Finally, the right path, easy street, benefits, vacation days, all the connections and money I can need. And it is just ripped from me in one email. After two interviews, two interviews. And I killed it, too. I mean, I knocked it right out of the park. And for what? Showed up in my Sunday best, smiled for them, kissed ass, told them I worked hard, yet I'm human. I make mistakes, but I always learn from them. And eh, not good enough. Tossed aside. And who decides my fate? Some white lady who probably chose some white guy over me. Better fit, I guess. He probably has a better school on his resume. One of those big name ones, too, like a USC, UCLA, NYU. I got into NYU once. Couldn't afford to go, though. He probably has some good credits, too. Maybe even knew someone. Those are the people that usually get the job. You know, there's not enough even to be white anymore. Nope. You got to know somebody. You got to be white and connected. And where does that leave me? Black. Small school, zero connections, out in the cold, I guess. Unemployed, that's where it leaves me. You know, just about every job I've had, I had to know someone. And I'm talking from sweeping floors to cleaning dishes. Only two times I got a job when I didn't know someone. And I was still just cleaning toilets. Guess I could go back to working freelance as a production assistant. Pay is decent, but you work 14 hours a day dealing with people's shit. Getting people water, food, or doing every little thing they're too lazy to do while doing your job too, you know. PAs don't just show up and stand there. We help the actors, the background, doing all the things ADs don't want to do. Most of it actually being their job, really, but we do it. It's, it's fun for a little bit. Then you work really hard doing your boss's job, and then you get this set only to be told you got to get them a water when all they did was come in three hours later than you and sat on their ass. And you want to tell them to go get their own fucking water, but I'm an assistant. I'm here to assist the ADs, not do their job. Working background, working base camp, that's their responsibility. And you handle it alone while they do paperwork and do nothing. And you sit down to eat lunch and one of the important people needs their ass wiped, you know, then, then, then guess who's getting up from their food and doing it? By the time you get back to your food, it's cold, probably covered in bugs. Catering is closed, though. Can't get back in line. Not only that, but you're treated like absolute shit. I've never run into so many insecure, uneducated people on a power trip than on a film set. 
And there's nothing I hate more than working for stupid people. People that I'm smarter than, you know, like people that can barely tie their own shoes. Working like a dog for these people to make a show you ain't even going to get a credit for. And, and, and they want you to care. Give your all. Do a million jobs by yourself and then go get water for people. But I get to make money and live the dream of being in a marching band. That's a Spongebob joke if you didn't get it. <sighs> yeah, I gotta pay rent, gotta eat. Well, don't get me wrong, my problem isn't getting water or food. It's a job. My problem is who I'm getting the water and food for. Our problem is with and has always been with people. Not the system, society, religion, race. That's all easy to understand. But it's people who complicate the system, who corrupt society, who abuse religion, and use race as a means to discriminate and oppress. That's my problem. They say the world is a tough and dangerous place, but it isn't. It's a ball of dirt, and it just keeps going round and round, minding its own business, waiting for an asteroid or its sun to explode. Same thing, peaceful, harmless, doing what it's been doing for billions of years. People make it tough, always trying to flaunt your authority, tout your power, be the boss. It's people that cuss and scream for absolutely no reason, when all you need to do is leave me alone, let me do my job. People got to be all up in my business and try to control me, be nosy. It's people that make the world unsafe. It's people acting so tough that they make it such a hard place to navigate. And until people are, are gone, it will remain as such. I know I can be melodramatic, but hey, take a look outside. First chance people got, they left the office. People don't want to go back to the office. Why? Dealing with grumpy, insecure people, passive aggressiveness, downright rudeness. I don't think we should ever go back. Hell, people don't really like even like going to movies anymore, and I don't blame them. Stream every damn thing. Let's all just stay at home. Who wants to go out and deal with people? My friend made me watch Clueless once. I had no intention of ever seeing that movie, but he said you have to watch this American classic, so we put it on, and I watched it. Uh, not a bad movie. Cher is funny. She's all about style and dating her stepbrother. But see, it's all funny when it's a movie. But you see, there's a lot of Cher's out there. Sweet, loving, naive people. But that teenage drama queen, she grows up, and she loses her innocence, and that stepbrother... It doesn't work out. Now she's been scarred emotionally and friends have stabbed her in the back and bosses yelled and screamed at her and year after year she's slowly stripped away and all that's left are her insecurities and fears. And you know, it's funny. As a kid, the world was so small. One little town in Jersey. Lindenwald, the, the last stop on the Paco train station. I mean, the only train station in town. The same old faces, places, and spaces. Routine. Then we venture out into this vast blue marble of a wasteland, exploring every last inch we can afford to until we find our path and create the same little small world we came from, same faces, same places, same spaces, routine. For some of us, it's right back in the same town. For me, it was LA, Los freaking Angeles, the city of angels, the place to become a star. And I was right there, man. I was so close. I was one email away. Maybe it's for the best. 
but can't be sure though because I was just tossed right back into the very wasteland, the vast oblivion that I've been trying to escape ever since leaving Lindenwald. You know, this is why people kill themselves. You know, I can see it now. There's no safety net anymore. The the harness has been completely stripped away, leaving us naked. And and I and I'm 24, which means I got two years and so no benefits, no health care. And I keep trying and fighting and climbing up this ungodly steep mountain, trying to get to the top. And some people are born with better equipment, man. Let me tell you, some are born closer to the top. Some are born stronger than others. Some mentally tougher than others. But we all climb just the same. And we climb alone. We struggle alone. We slip alone. And if we fall, we fall alone. But the truth is, I'll settle for a safe ledge. You know, Sammy Davis said he was going to build a mountain from a little hill, you know. That's what I thought life was, you know, building your own mountain. But if life is building a mountain, then I'm still having trouble laying the foundation. I'm stuck climbing somebody else's mountain, like just like the rest of us. This mountain of a society that is meant to give you structure, but people have greased the rocks, sabotaged equipment, and some even throw rocks at you. Hi, Avery. You have a lot of passion and good attributes, but as of today, we filled the position. What a kick in the nuts. What good attributes do I have? Certainly ain't skin color or education, so what? I must not be that good of a kiss-ass, but that's life, you know? That's what Frank said, right? Riding high one second, shot down another, not her fault, no sense in blaming her, she's only doing her job. They hired who they felt was best fit for the job. Excuse me, mentioning old music, that's how I cope. I sing, I write, I film, I fail over and over and over and over and over again. They say, put your faith in God, and I do. Lord knows I do, but God can only take you so far so fast. You know, life is a marathon, not a sprint. Life expectancy in black males in the U.S. is 79 years. That's 28,835 days. That's 612,040 hours. 41,522,400 minutes. That's all I get. Half of 79 is 39 and a half, which means I'm more than a quarter of my life done at 24. But it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. God's plan. Well, let's drink to that. I like the Alice in Wonderland people. You know, the Mad Hatter. Singing about unbirthdays. You know, they celebrate every day as if it's a birthday. Now, that's a, way to, that's a good way to look at life. I wonder why I can't look at life that way. You know, and, and, and you have to excuse me. I, I don't have any friends to vent to. Family life is what it is. I love them, but I can't vent to them. So when I get like this, you know, you guys show up and you never say anything. So I just start talking. I guess you're more imaginary, but you're real to me. You're like this real fake audience here to watch the show. And in a way, that's all I've ever wanted. Big spotlight, all eyes on me. You know, the usual pipe dream. Name up in lights. And to give one hell of a show. Well, I don't want to disappoint anyone, so let's raise the curtain. People suck and I don't trust them. That's the motto I live by. I don't know where this mindset came from. Maybe it goes back to my childhood experience or maybe it's just my life that has led me to this maleficent conclusion. 
Not sure. All I know is I had a dream. Still try to, though no one wants to help me chase it. I get lonely, but no one wants to make the time. I have feelings, but no one seems to care. I, I know I'm not supposed to. Be strong, unwavering, never let them see you sweat, be damned if they see you cry. But I cry. Funny thing is not crying has been so ingrained in me that oftentimes I try to cry and my body won't let me. Even when I'm alone. Like I can feel the tears, but they won't come out unless I force them. Guess I got so used to holding back the tears that now I have to force it just to get one tear out of my eyes. That's what life can turn you into if you're not careful. You know, now I'm trapped here in this apartment. Not literally, of course, I can leave in time I want, but I don't. Just staying here day and night, sunrise to sunset. Don't mind it none. It gets a little hot out here in California, but I just turn on the air. So, I mean, they say the world still spins. Don't let life pass you by. I say let it spin. It was spinning before I got here, baby, and it'll be spinning long after I'm gone. And here I do my own spinning, and I can't let them see me spinning spiraling really my writings these are my legacy every word a testament to my life they say you have to live life now but i say isn't it what you leave behind more important they say bloodlines family matter but people can disappoint and families die off but shakespeare's writings will never go out of style just made another movie the tragedy of Macbeth. not the best i almost walked out in fact i did but i came back to watch denzel and Corey hawkins you know and 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 but the sets were just drab and boring. It's, it was black and white. I didn't understand what the hell he was saying. It was all in Old English. But Shakespeare is alive and well. And what do I know, judging these people's work like that? They're creating art, you know, living to the fullest. I try to live to my fullest, but it's hard to live up to the expectations of others. You know, see, to me, my life is my writings. I write so much, I've taken to writing most of my work by hand. Can't stand to look at a computer anymore. My eyes get dry. I can use my phone, though, go on social media, watch TV, but maybe a dating app or two, maybe three. Is there a fourth? I, I, I know, I know, people suck and I don't trust them, but I'm a man, man needs woman. Been that way since the beginning of time, ain't gonna change. But that's not what people define as light, living life to the fullest, and, and that's just the problem. Adventure, everybody wants a damn adventure. I want an adventure, but adventure is not something that freelance production assistants can afford to do. So I create my own adventures and I have a lot of fun doing it. You know, people just think I sit and write all day and then they say I'm missing out on life. The lessons I learned from writing in these notebooks are more valuable than any trip to Spain or Mexico. No disrespect to either country. Besides, I ain't got no one to go with anyway. It's all right, though. I'll find somebody. There's somebody for everybody, right? Dean Martin says everybody loves somebody sometimes. He also said find yourself somebody to love, so I've been trying to do that, but I'm not into this new woman. You know, you know what I mean. Not the new empowerment, take control woman. Power is sexy. No, I mean all these tattoos and piercings and strange hairdos, and everybody in LA has tattoos and piercings and nose rings just creep me out. But they're all the rage, and I can't find that attractive. I like a nice, clean-cut, adorable, loving woman, though today they are in short supply. I'm serious, though. They say they're looking for intimacy, to laugh and have fun. I believe they are. You know, intentions are pure, no doubt. They always are. But they don't find it. They say these things and end up trading in a nice guy for a blunt, a joke, and a short fling instead of having a good thing for a long time. No, sure, a nice guy is not exciting. 
but I once was taught that greatness is boring. You know, being great is doing the same thing over and over again to perfection. And sometimes that can get boring or seem boring to people outside of greatness. But at least you have somebody reliable, dependable, loving. I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm to blame for being single. I'm too picky, I'm boring, I don't always share the same ideals as the liberal agenda, if you catch my drift. I support Dave Chappelle 100%. I'm not sold on the whole down to the police and all conservative values type of thing. Things need to change in this country, but let's be smart about it. Those are not the most popular opinions, and I'm not going to sell out what I think is right for sex with a woman whose only opinion is curated off of what other people are saying they heard from a stand-up special or for people who won't put themselves in the other person's shoes you know I, I watched the damn special myself i came to my own conclusion formulated my own thoughts i'm looking for someone who does the same and i say this and then i get on the apps and i only really swipe on people who are hot you know and not who I think are hot, but like what society considers hot, you know. And I say I'm looking for someone truthful, wholesome, but that's not entirely true, is it? Honestly, I I mean, I'll, I want someone to make me happy, but I'll settle for a head turner. You know, that person that every guy in the place drools over. I wouldn't mind being the guy with the girl. You know, that's a country music song, if you don't know. Is it bad to listen to country music? I'm black, not from the South, I'm from New Jersey, and no, not the New Jersey you're thinking of. Yes, the one in America, but, but not the one upstate near New York. You know, that's not even Jersey, that, not, not the Jersey I know anyway. I'm from South Jersey. It's a bit slower, more space, a bunch of small towns connected by one train station, and a lot more rednecks, black people, Puerto Ricans. It's, it's a different style of living than LA or New York. That's why I like country music, I guess. I can relate to most of it, you know, being from a nowhere town with a bunch of white folks. And of course, heartbreak, you know, can't we all relate there? But I mean, not much happened in my town. My dad works for the police every day. He gets up early in the morning, goes to work. People watches, making sure the peace is kept. A shame the only thing threatening the peace is people. And the only thing keeping it is him. You know, we've turned on police these past couple of years. We, not meaning black people, we've historically never had to quit a relationship with police. But I mean, as a society, you know, we used to elect generals as our presidents and celebrate men and women in uniform here and abroad. And I, I guess not anymore. Murderers, all of them, oppressors, every last one, corrupted, racist, oppressive, abusive. I'm sure some are. People are people. They suck and I don't trust them. But a police officer ain't never done nothing wrong to me. Now, I know they do wrong. I was protesting when Floyd got killed. And, and when they do wrong, they should be prosecuted. But we have to understand that these people see life a little differently than the rest of us. And most of us spend 8 to 10 hours a day in a safe office where the only thing we have to worry about is the AC cutting off or trash-talking Lydia down the hall. Police officers deal with a little different side of life. No one calls 911 and says, hey, can you send the police to my house? I'm having the best day and need someone to share it with. Imagine that. 12 hour shifts, three days on, two days off, and back again. 99% of it's spent dealing with the lowest denominator of people there is. And, and boy, it is low. That's got to take a toll on your mind. Now, I don't justify shooting nobody to back, but still, all I'm saying is it, 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 I can't be mad at police. And my, my father's my hero. Don't think I ever told him that. Doubt I ever will. The police aren't perfect people, and no one ever said they needed to be. Truth is, they're just a bunch of people trying to get home at the end of the day. And do they need a better vetting process, application process? Absolutely. Don't we all? They got a job to do just like the rest of us. It's the ununiformed people I worry about. 
I went to get a haircut one time in New Haven, New York. You know, I went to college in Westchester County. I went down to New Haven looking for a barber and found some white guys down there. Two were talking on the front steps, no one older than 60s, one younger, 40s, maybe, maybe 50. Uh, but I doubt it. And I mean, I, I went to walk in and the younger one put his foot in front of the door, stopped me cold, took me by surprise. We don't do lines or styles, he told me. I don't get that, I told him. Truth is, I didn't. I never had. When my dad took me to get a haircut growing up, it was always cut the top low, close fade on the side. When mom took me, it was always cut the top low, close fade on the side. First time I go on my own, I don't even get that far. I don't even get to the chair. I get stopped by a, the door by a foot. But when he finally let me inside, another guy cut my hair. He was old too. I liked him. You know, he told me, he said, we all have a role to play in life. You know, everyone has a job to do. And he, he wasn't talking about job in terms of occupation. At least I don't, I don't think he was. I think he was talking about society as a whole. Everyone has a role to play in order for society to function. Think about that. Politicians make the laws. Judges enforce them. We follow them. Now police officers, there are different types of enforcers. Judges enforce from inside a courtroom. Metal detectors at the main entrance, pat downs in the courtroom doors, guards all around the room. Not police officers. No, they might as well be standing out in the middle of the jungle. I don't doubt some of them feel that way. Now, I'm saying, not saying people are animals, but aren't we, though? I mean, I think it's so prevalent these days what we are. Not these intel intelligent beings, though we can be. But what more primal than that? Shootings every other day, schools getting shot up, supermarkets, festivals, gatherings, get-togethers. Just going to Rouse's, rolling the dice these days. You try policing that. Everyone on this planet is a potential homicidal maniac, me included. It's our natural instincts, eat, kill, fuck. But we can defy those instincts if we play our role. Find a role. Play it. Order. Now, I know roles for black people haven't always been the best parts, but we're out of those roles now, so let's find one that can be more suited to our in intelligence and dignity. Everyone's trying to be so slick these days. Everyone's looking for an out they can... Any excuse to bend the rules, even if it's not justified, give a man enough rope, he'll hang himself. Eventually, I did go back to that barber shop. The old man who cut my hair wasn't there. The younger one was, though, with the other two guys who were playing chess in the window. And I, I, I bet you they do that every day. New Haven's like a town trapped in time. Maybe that's why I went back. You know, it's old school, and I like old school, but old school can be bad when you're black. You know, the, the younger guy cut my hair with, without a word. I mean, took my money with a look. Now, I'm 19, maybe 20 at the time. I grew up in mostly white school in a mostly white world. So I know a look when I see one. And man, that was a look. Like, I felt bad. Like, I knew I didn't belong. Or like they didn't want me there. Either or, I never went back after that. After that. And, and I hope that old man is still cutting hair. Too bad the younger one is there. I, I would like to see that old man again. Everybody's got a role to play, a job. My dad has stood in those police stations for 20 years, sunrise and sunset. Why? He had a role to play. He's a father, husband, hero. Mine, anyway. My mother's a firecracker, though. <laughs> That's not her job. It's just who she is. She's she's a paralegal, ready to retire, just like my father. Just waiting on me to find a job with benefits so she can. And I can't get one, though, not from lack of trying. We didn't always get along, me and my mother. I felt she couldn't handle her temper. Boy, at the drop of a dime, she started screaming so loud it hurt your ears. <laughs> she, could let, she could let you have it, too. I mean, felt like I was in a college lecture hall when I was only in grade school. 
She had great points from time to time. She's a smart woman. No problem is she tell you the same point over and over and over again until you knew what her next word was before she said it. <laughs> and I know she's my mother and mama knows child. And as a teenager, I wanted nothing to do with it. Boy, we'd get into it. And I look back now and realize because we're exactly the same. We're great now, our relationship. I'd consider her a friend more than that, though. She's my mother. I also know my apple plopped straight down from that tree. Boy, did I have a temper. I guess I, I still do. Just know how to control it. People think I'm a calm person now. Took some time to get there, but boy, inside I'm a volcano about to rain down lava on your ass. I don't like people who get in my way. I'm, I'm trying to, to do something. Let me figure it out. But people are rigid, you know. It, it has to be done this way, their way. But what's wrong with my way, though? Maybe my way is better. But it doesn't matter because someone made them do it that way. So now they must make me do it that way. And the cycle continues. As long as the job gets done, I guess. Maybe that's my problem. I never want to do things their way. Why? Well, it's been done. I, I thought individuality was celebrated. It's in all the Disney movies. I just figured people would let me try something new. That the world would accept me for me. I, I guess I was wrong. But I went back and watched those Disney movies. And I, I saw that at first our lovable hero was ostracized. For that same individuality that would eventually make them special. They went through obstacle after obstacle, being shunned, betrayed, and mocked. Until finally they would overcome the impossible and rise above and show everyone that their individuality is actually a blessing, not a curse. And that all happens in two hours. And I, I wonder when I'm going to overcome, though. I face obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. If I battle some monsters in my time, been shunned, mocked by people closest to me, laughed at from my dreams. But you see, Disney will have you believe that when you lose, you win. That there's a lesson in losing. You just have to dig down deep and find it. And when you win, you win. That's it. You can ride off into the sunset and it feels the way, feels that way in the moment. But there's always a sequel, right? I mean, because the monster is learning too. In their defeat, they're plotting and they'll strike over and over again. So even when you win, you lose. A piece of yourself, really. I mean, you, you can't unsee hate. You can't unfeel pain. That's not how it works. You can dig down deep and believe in yourself and overcome it, but you can't escape it. It sticks with you. And people love you when you're down. Now, they'll sit there and complain and cry with you all day. And when you're up, look around. Those people ain't there. You try to bring them up, and they won't come. Walkovers, I call them. Those passive people who are just inclined to let someone walk over them, but as sand is to bare feet. So they don't become individuals. They don't become this hero of the story. They're just footprints. Someone else's footprints. I never understood that, being okay to let the monsters win. Ain't no walking over me. Everyone in the world says that. I don't have to. I act it. And boy, they don't like that, do they? The one thing the world hates the most is an individual. Someone who acts the way that others only talk about. All these walkovers pass day to day going about the system. They get treated like a pawn on the chessboard, expendable. They complain about it and then they go right back to their spot on the chessboard. Too afraid to speak up, too afraid to break the rules. They see what happens to people like me when they do. I don't blame them. I've been called to the principal's office more time than I can care to admit if you know what I mean. Then after a very passive-aggressive lecture from whoever the boss is, I become a target, you know, someone to make an example of, you know, especially when you're black. Everyone expects me to go back in my place, but I don't. I can't now. I done said my piece. Y'all go play your game. 
And man, do they hate that. Who is this guy trying to be different? Not play the same game I had to. The lesson? Don't be an individual. I tried that too, just being a footprint. I really did. I was working on a TV show. I know it sounds fabulous, but I was only a PA, a production assistant. And you go, don't say that. People will kill to be a production assistant. Take my advice. Kill for something else. Nothing but incompetence and insecurities down this way. I was on five shows. Each show, a new group of people. Each show, they treated me like it was my first. Don't matter how hard you work, they never realize it, acknowledge it, notice it. You're just another monkey to train. But don't speak up. Don't ruffle any feathers. Go about your day. Do your job. Funny thing is they pretend to notice. You know, they say, you're amazing. You're awesome. And you, you actually feel good until they turn around and say the same thing to the next person. But it's not that that gets you. It's the fact that they say it in the exact same tone. Like an audio recording played on repeat. And you realize they don't actually mean it. They're saying what they think they need to say to you to keep you motivated, to keep you playing the game, to keep you in your place. And it doesn't suck because they gave that person a compliment. Everyone deserves to be complimented, especially to do a good job. It sucks because for a moment, for one moment, you feel validated. Your whole childhood, you were told that you were special for just being you. And the moment you become an adult, they go out of their way to show you that you're not special at all. So what do you do? You fight it at first, but eventually you get tired of fighting. People just trying to break you down day after day. And every night you go home, cry yourself to sleep. And in the morning you say a prayer and you somehow try to find the courage to build up your confidence to go back out the door. And after a year or two of that, you just get tired. All the fake people pretending to stand with you only to take two steps back when the firing squad comes. They make you feel like they support you. Meanwhile, you turn around and whoosh. Those motherfuckers are gone. But it's too late to turn back now. The monsters are coming and you must stand your ground. And in that moment, you wonder if Hercules ever said if he didn't want to fight Cerberus. Each challenge is a lesson. Easy for them to say. They don't have to walk around with this pain. And you finally get the message and you decide to stop fighting and just be a footstep and, and take the abuse. And that's when you realize why people grow old and bitter and scrimp and save up their sick and vacation days and can't wait for retirement. Because allowing someone to do and say whatever to control your life is the most demoralizing sensation ever. God gave you a mouth, but you're too afraid to use it. So you take the lumps for years until finally they promote you. But then the job you thought you loved has lost its shimmer. You have no shine, it's just work, and you hate every moment of it. And that person that told you you were so great, they're still there, and they're still telling you the same thing, and you hate them for it because you know they don't mean it, because you're not great. You're not amazing. Not in that role. You're expendable. And the worst part is, you can quit at any time, and you tell yourself you're going to, but you can't bring yourself to do it. You will lose too much. It doesn't matter what you may gain, so you stay and tell yourself you're okay when you're not, and you end up in a a bitter shell of what you could have been. And I realized that I couldn't be no footprint, so I fought once again. Threw myself back in the line of fire, the PA standing up for himself, the monsters once again. I I walked away wounded. I walked away proud, but I walked away alone.
See, people can promise you a lot. They say you're great and we're going to take you here and you'll be able to do this. And, and you're, you're going to be an office PA. You're going to be a coordinator. and You're going to go anywhere you want. You can do anything you want. And, and none, the industry is yours and no one can stop you. Just dangling the carrot. That don't mean it's going to happen. These people, they don't understand taking pride in their work. I mean real pride. I mean giving every last bit of yourself to a job. And for them to offer praise makes you feel like you have a purpose. Then one day you walk in the door and they brought in somebody else to do what they promised you. And you realize they've been lying to you for how long? Years maybe? I was the manager of my college's basketball team. Four years I was there. Same coach, different players. He was a good man, the coach. I didn't have a problem with him at the start. Gave him everything he asked for and more. My time, energy, hell, even my tears. Three years I was there giving everything I had to give. I watched the players come and go. I watched the other assistant coaches come and go. But I stayed. You know, I was the constant. My senior year was, was finally going to be my shot, my chance to be the only assistant he had, just me and him. And boy, was I excited. I admired the guy. I was foolish enough to even look up to him. And then he started acting funny on me, second-guessing every Every, my every opinion, siding with, with others over me, walked into the locker room one day and I found another man there and I'd never seen him before, right? And, and he had hired an, another assistant coach, never even told me, didn't even have the respect enough to pull me aside and say, this is what's going on. Now I'm no poor sport. No, the team comes first. Business is business. I never said we were friends. No, I learned that from this underrated movie called Takers. You know, I came out when I was younger. T.I. said that line, funny enough. Great young cast, you know, Idris, Michael Ely, Chris Brown, Zoe Zadana. And they were a bunch of thieves, but they weren't the bad guys. No, they they had a code. You know, T.I. plays the character named Ghost. And he has this this one last job, millions of dollars. See, but but T.I. didn't have a code. And when things go south, and of course they do, right? It's Hollywood. Uh, Idris learns that Ghost is going to double cross them. See, Idris, see, Idris has this drug addicted sister in the movie and he's just trying to get her home to the Bahamas. But the company you keep, you know, you know, Ghost double crossed them because he used to be a member of the team before he got arrested on a job that they did. And, and, and he did time for not snitching on them. And he felt they, they left him in prison to rot. And Idris felt it was standard practice to not visit someone in prison. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who knows? Why do I tell you this story? Well, we were all amongst thieves here. And we all have different codes. And we flock together with people who share the same code. We all think we're on the same team until things go south. And some people put loyalty over the code, while others, they just stick to their code. I admired these people, these codes, these ADs and DGA trainees, the people that hired me and gave me a chance. I thought we could even be friends, but business is business. I never said we were friends. And you want to know what I learned through all of that? DTA, Rock, don't trust anybody. That's a motto to live by. Who can you trust when everyone is filled with their own fears and insecurities that, that taint every word they say how, how can you trust people who talk but never follow through how can you trust people when you have hard enough time just trusting yourself and i know i should learn to trust someone i know i should learn to trust people more i do and i really want to but every time i trust someone every time i open up they turn out to be toxic every time they hurt me in one way or another and it's got to be me at this point there's got to be something wrong with me but I'm just tired of trusting people who are just okay with being footsteps. There are so many people in this world and there are so many people who just don't care about me. 
And I wish I could find that one that does. Now I want a friend who pushes themselves just as hard as they push me and strives to be great, loyal, someone who doesn't settle for okay. But I can't find these people. Everyone's so YOLO, man. You got to go with the flow. I want, I want some people who say, damn the flow. That want to grab the flow by his tiny little horns and take that SLB wherever they want to take it. Unwavering, relentless, hardworking. Where's that mentality? Where's the people that don't accept the system for what it is? If someone says to me, well, this is how it works one more time, then you'll see me on the news because I just done killed them. Do people not understand that this system was invented by people who did whatever it took to make their dreams come true? Steve Jobs didn't go with the flow, neither did Zuckerberg, and if Elizabeth Holmes would have been able to just get that machine to work, she'd be a hero for the rules she broke, not going to jail for 20 years. Disney, LaMelle, the Warner Brothers, they didn't follow the rules. There were no rules. They just did whatever it took. They worked nonstop. They fought through bankruptcies, depressions, worker strikes, world wars, and they kept going. Today, everyone is just so pretty bird, pretty bird, and they get mad at me for being relentless, for not stopping, for doing whatever the fuck it takes to make my dreams come true. Then it's, oh, you're too much, you're working too hard, you're too intense, you gotta wait your turn. Man, fuck my turn. My turn can kiss the fattest part of my ass. And as far as I'm concerned, I've been waiting for my turn for 24 years and I'm not waiting any longer. I'm fucking overdue. And I would do whatever it takes to be able to look at these people in the eyes and say, I told you so. But I will be patient. I'm not gonna stop working, but I'll wait. Not because the system says I should, but because God hasn't hasn't decided I'm ready for my turn yet for some crazy reason. But I'd really love some people around me that are thinking the same way. Even an ounce of the same drive and determination would be refreshing. Once I get that, then forget about it. You give me three good people and I'll take over the fucking world. Growing up, nothing was ever good enough. It was as if greatness was the only measure that counted. A C was unacceptable. If it was a B, it could have been an A. A, it could have been an A+. Plus. A+, plus, well, let's just see you repeat it. And it wasn't just in my family. It was society. You're never just celebrated for trying your best. It's not enough to give everything you have, but those efforts need to result in something impressive or it was all for nothing. You know, I remember one year I was running the 800 and it was my senior year. I was coming off of a fractured right hip. My times were terrible, running 214, 216. Those are terrible times. You don't know anything about track. And everybody was like, especially my coach, like, what are you doing to go out there and you need to just go balls to the wall? So I did. I went out in the beginning of a race and just killed myself by the end. I was giving everything I had. But guess what? After each race, after I finished, almost passing out from lack of air, people would tell me, well, why didn't you finish stronger? Why is your time only 206? Six, which is 10 seconds down from what it was well <laughs> this is how you get faster this is how you get better nothing was ever good enough it wasn't good enough the fact that i was going out there every day and just going balls to the wall which is what they told me to do the results weren't there i wasn't impressive enough now i've always loved basketball loved watching it loved playing it but i sucked at it i mean i couldn't even get past the whole dribbling thing my parents saw that and i'm sure they did there were no scholarships in my future no professional aspirations and i never wanted to play in the nba yet i took basketball lessons i went to the LA fitness to play pickup uh, uh, and practice early in the morning and late at night when i had to work 12 hour days would take me and told me to practice 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 and he paid his his hard-earned money so that i would get better and every step of the way i gave it all i had and i would go outside and dribble and i'd practice practice and I tried I really did but didn't matter none cut three times to my high school team clearly this wasn't my sport and even in track I, I, I ran on my spare time I did spring I did winter I did cross country in the summer I ran so much I fractured my hip I mean 
I actually won some races from time to time. It didn't matter when you won because it was always the next race. But if you lost, it felt like the end of the world. A lot of the time I just acted sad. I always competed, I always ran through pain, injuries, it, it, it was never enough. Not for the players, not for the coach, not for family, so it, it couldn't be enough for me. I always thought I was letting my dad down, not being this D1 athlete like he was, you know, full variety show like NFL player, newspaper clippings, awards, legacy in sports. Me, scrawny, runner, barely able to keep up. And, and I look back on it and I think just how much more fun it could have been if everyone was just to back off and stop pushing me so hard. If I was just allowed to be, it felt as if my effort were good enough that the very fact that I gave it all I had was enough and I didn't feel like I was carrying the weight of the whole world on my shoulders over some dream that I never even had a chance of achieving but I know why they push me because you have to because in this life just doing things for fun ain't gonna get you nowhere you have to have drive determination commitment I get it they cared in the best way they knew how because life is only fun when you're winning losers don't get to have fun because losers aren't good enough I, I was about 13 when I picked up writing and boy, I wrote constantly, everywhere I could, all the time. My mother used to get so irritated because you could not separate me from my laptop. Father, too. I just wrote movies everywhere I could. At home, school, vacation, didn't matter. I mean, a blind man could see that this was my calling. No one had to push me to go practice. No one had to yell and scream at me or pay money for writing lessons for me to write as much as I did. Not only did I love doing it, but I felt as if I was really good at it. I was writing full features before the age of 16. I mean, 200 plus pages in final draft. Man, I can go for hours. And I had fun. And I felt like I had to be the best or that I had to compete with anybody. Maybe I had so much fun because no one was pushing me. And I just wish people would have stopped to think, huh, maybe sports aren't his thing. But this writing thing, maybe that's his path. But you don't talk about Hollywood where I'm from. It's, it's impossible to make it into the business. But the NBA, where only a few hundred gifted athletes, most of whom are over six foot three, that's where you should strive to be. I, I just wish someone would have encouraged me to write growing up, acknowledge that this could be my future. I had a teacher in high school that taught a few film classes. Not film in the let's go out and make a movie type, but more the here's the textbook, let's talk about Hollywood, let's read and discuss type of way. But it was still fun, you know, I still enjoyed it. He even ran this TV studio for the school, you know, morning announcements, funny segments, that type of stuff. I, I would have given anything to be a part of that. I tried to show him I was interested, even hung around the TV studio for a bit, but he never took notice. He even had a sign-up sheet, people who wanted to join the TV studio, and I signed up and he told me I couldn't do it. I forget the excuse, it was something stupid. Uh, but, uh, but, but one day in class we had some assignment, you know, acting maybe, I don't remember. But I remember he approached me after and he asked me to come back that night. You know, they were doing an open house, he wanted me to help direct something for the TV studio. His words, not mine. I was so excited. I mean, finally someone had noticed me and I, I had gone out and had gone out of their way to put me on the right track to help me with my path. I felt valued for the first time. All those hours of writing, all those movies I watched stood for something. That's all I needed was just a little push. And when I had gotten to the school that night, the place was packed. Families roaming the halls, excitement in the air. I walked over to my teacher, eager to see what he would have me do handed me a boomstick and said, hold this while we interview people and gave some white boy the, the camera and let him direct. And I was devastated. And, and, he, and he, he got the camera and I got the boomstick. And, you, and do you know the real reason the teacher invited me to this event? It wasn't because he was impressed by my knowledge of writing or my skill. No, it was because he felt that I was funny and I could entice people to come and sit down for these interviews. He wanted me to be funny and charming and smile and make jokes and be the life of the party, but I just wanted to be taken seriously. 
to do the actual work, not some dancing monkey with a boomstick. That's why I never went into stand-up, because people only see you as a comic. It's hard to turn that off. He used me like I was some type of promotional vehicle. Come on, everybody. Come do one of these fake interviews and see how much fun this school's TV students are having. Not me, because I'm holding the boom, and I'm not technically a part of the TV studio because they won't let me be. But these other people, they're having a ball. And I know holding a boom is important. I get it. The union shouldn't get mad at me. But but that wasn't the point. I've been funny and able to make people laugh, but I never wanted to be a comedian. I remember back in grade school, we used to have to wait outside in the morning if it wasn't too cold. And we would we couldn't enter school until the priest said the morning prayer. And all the kids lined up in their grades and homerooms. And I would tell funny stories, make the kids laugh. And oh, man, I had those guys cracking up all the time. But I noticed something even back then about making people laugh is that maybe not when to pursue comedy. Because when people have one a good laugh, they come to you. You make them laugh. They go back and bring their friend. You make them laugh and so on and so forth until you have a crowd. It feels good. But now you've been telling the same jokes 10 times and they want you to keep telling it over and over, over again until finally it isn't funny anymore. And what do they do then? They stop laughing. They blame you, not them making you tell the same joke 20 times. And now you're done. You're not funny and nobody likes you. And they all go about their day, you find someone else to make them laugh, and you're stuck alone and feeling bad because you didn't think you were funny enough. You eat lunch alone because you have no friends and you feel worthless because people are not only using you to make themselves laugh, they don't want to be your friend because they just they just want to laugh. And when you can't do that, you're no longer of use to them. That teacher in high school didn't see a kid who had all the talent in the world and just needed a push. It never crossed his mind to bring me into the TV studio even when I asked, even when I signed the damn sign-up sheet. He helped other kids. I watched him tell a kid that they had a calling and should be more involved in the TV studio. A kid that never signed the damn call <laughs> sign-up sheet. That kid went on to be the main producer for the studio. But I was left out in the cold. Why? Because all he saw was a funny black kid who could hold a boomstick. And that does something to you. Even at a young age, I'll tell you what it does. It pisses you the fuck off. And that's how I felt my whole life. Like a shark in a cage. You know, I'm there for people's entertainment. No one actually cares about me. Just to gawk and laugh for a little bit and then move along, move along to the next animal. And I wonder if a shark ever feels that way. Misunderstood, overlooked, swimming around in a cage that they, knowing they should be in an ocean. I learned something in high school, though. I learned people love to help sad people. So I pretended to be sad. And do you know what that taught me? Being sad for a little while is okay. But if you're sad for too long, people get upset with you. They lose interest and start complaining. All I was doing was looking for friends and a little respect, but I wasn't great at any sport so no one cared I, I just what i just was good and no one appreciates good that's probably why i work so hard today i mean i write every day i have podcasts and films make cartoons and i never stop 4 a.m to 10 p.m every day but i wonder if it's because i want to be great or it's because i want people to notice me but I don't care about success. That will come in its own time. No, I care that no matter how hard I work, I never feel good enough. You want to know the one thing I learned about working hard? The harder you work, the more criticism you bring on. And I'm talking film critics because I don't have any yet. I, I mean just in my circle, friends, family, etc. Everyone, everyone wants to criticize you for working hard to make it. That's life, right? Good is not good enough. 
You got to be great. And we are going to push you and tell you we, we don't believe in you until you become great. Then we're all going to stand around with our hands out because we help push you to be great by telling you that you will never be great. And that's the sick, toxic mindset that now motivates me. I want everything to be great. I have to be the best. My mother came to visit one time and she wanted to, to take one of those Hollywood house tours, you know, see the celebrity houses type of thing. I fought it. But I lost the course and everything was fine. We were in the Hollywood Hills, you know, secluded, nice, nice house, beautiful houses. But then we got to Beverly Hills and exactly what I thought would happen happened. We were sitting there in traffic, stuck on Melrose or, or what have you. The most expensive stores lined the streets, the most beautiful cars, the most beautiful women. And we're in this colorful tourist can that screamed, we're poor. And I'm supposed to gawk at all these cars and these stores and these people and be impressed and take pictures and have fun. I want to own one of those cars. I want to walk into one of those stores. I want to marry one of these women. I, I, I want to belong here because this is where the great people go. Not at the 99 cent store, but here on Melrose. Because then I'd be great and I wouldn't have to work so damn hard for someone to acknowledge me. And I know you're supposed to be happy where you're at and God blessed you with this life, etc., etc. But we all know that's bullshit. That's why millions of people play the lottery. Now, now everyone's investing, which is basically the same thing. So they can have millions in the bank when they retire, not realizing that whatever millions they have in 40 years is going to be the equivalent of whatever's in their bank account now. And that all the time and money was spent will be wasted because they were listening to people who were lucky enough to be perceived as great when they had a silver spoon given to them at one point or another. And do you know the worst part about being on that bus in the middle of Beverly Hills? Is that no one even acknowledged our presence. They pretended like we weren't there because in their eyes, we are worthless. And in their eyes must see something that my eyes don't because they're shopping on Melrose and I'm in a big colorful bus. Now I'm no Socrates. I'm just a young man who's been led astray, who's been poisoned by this toxic mindset that he can't seem to shake. When I moved out to California at the beginning of 2020, I moved out here with great hope and unrealized dreams. And I was finally going to get a shot at making my dreams come true. I had gotten out of that small town in New Jersey and I made it to LA and all that hard work will finally mean something. This is supposed to be my time, my people. Yes, I was scared shitless, of course, but I have my sister and some money in the bank. And what's worse? What's the worst? that can happen well one pandemic and nine months of unemployment later i wasn't holding up so well i was broke fall of 2020 didn't know what to do had three thousand dollars in the bank cleaning toilets for a living making two thousand dollars a month rent 1100 not ex including other expenses i had maybe four months left if i could stretch it you know before i had to go home uh, pack up and leave all my dreams behind woke up one morning stomach and not shaking couldn't eat I mean, I was in pain. I had developed tinnitus in my life a year. I had two C scans and an MRI in the past three months. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I just lost my job cleaning toilets. Thought I was going to finally break into the industry. Lost my job as a PA. And I was at rock bottom. Called my mother and just broke down. I mean, man, I cried like a bitch for an hour straight. Didn't know what I was expecting her to say. I couldn't even get a word out before I just started crying. But we all need to cry sometimes. You know, she, she, she told me something I'll never forget that morning. She told me to give it 30 days. That's all. Just give it 30 days and reassess. I, I used to cry a lot as a kid. 
Uh, anytime I was embarrassed, didn't get my way, I would cry. Didn't matter who was watching. This is how I got my way. It's funny, the switch from grade school to middle school, things that once worked don't work no more. The people used to feel bad when you when you cry. Now they start getting mad at you for crying and they never explain why. The only reason they give you is to toughen up and grow up. Can't cry in the real world. It, it, it's true though, crying out here ain't gonna get you nowhere. It only hurts you because when you show emotion, you show weakness and weakness is a bad thing. Weakness gets you exploited. No weakness, man or woman, no fear, show no fear, tough. You gotta be tough. Not just tough, but perfectly tough. You gotta be great at being tough. You have to be the toughest SOB to ever walk the face of God's green earth. And, and, and you, you gotta be like the Spartans. But Adele makes one ballad and the world loses his mind. But only when the song plays. And once the song is over, you gotta be hard again. Once the song is over, you must hide all that vulnerability because people won't respect you anymore. Especially if you're black and especially if you're a man. Can't get caught listening to no Adele song. Nigga, that's gay. And gay ain't hard and hard ain't respected. So what do we got? A bunch of people trying to be so tough, so hard, they block out all emotion. A bunch of people afraid of being bullied that they become the bullies. They don't go away. They only multiply. It's not just a school thing being bullied. I can excuse that to a bad home life, insecurities, he's 15, we all went through it. You can ignore that bully, you can ignore that guy. He comes at you, you push him back, show him you ain't no one to mess with and he'll go away. The high school bully is easy. Teachers don't care, other students don't like him anyway. But now that 15 year old bully is 40, his boss is another bully because birds of a feather flock together and now here you come, bright eyed and bushy tailed, fresh meat and you can't cry. That ain't gonna help. Can't push them either. You'll lose your job, or worse, they'll call the cops, press charges. And that being black on top of that equation, not looking good. Can't go to HR, they don't care. As long as he ain't breaking the law and you ain't hurting their pockets, they can't help you. Even if he is, you have to have proof. And even then, all they do is sit him down and give him a warning until you go lawyer up and actually start taking money from these people. And the crew won't help you. They don't like the guy, but they're too afraid to speak up. So what do you do? Stiff upper lip. Don't waver. Just nod and let it slide off your back. It's just a job. Not important. Only what you spend the majority of the day doing which ends up being majority of your working life, which is the prime of your life. Don't let him get to you. Don't break. Can't yell. Can't scream because he's got you then. No one to turn to. Mom can't call up the school. Dad can't intimidate him. You're on your own. And they wonder why the suicide rate is so high. You go home at night. You have to self-medicate, drink, smoke, worse. People can make the world a dangerous place. I ain't got to tell you that. When I was working in Philly, my father gave me a pocket knife and pepper spray. I used to work late at night, you see, so I took the train, so I had to walk to the station. Not too far, but still, it's Philadelphia. I have that knife on my dresser. My, my mother used to be so worried she would stay up late until I got home. I never had a problem, though. One time, I had a guy take eight bucks from me for the bus, say he needed to go see his daughter in Boston, hope he made it. You know, I have two objects I consider lucky, my father's knife and my Hamilton hat. A hat I bought when I was sliced all the play on Broadway. I've misplaced that and both of them several times, and I always find them. I don't wear the Hamilton hat much since moving to California, but I carry that knife everywhere with me I go. And, 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 you know, it's legal. It's six inches. And one time, fell out my pocket at the movie theater. I nearly had a panic attack. 
might just be another knife to you, but my father gave me that knife. And, and I went back and it was laying right there on the seat. <laughs> it's a lucky knife. I've never had to use it for its intended purposes. Hopefully I never will. You know, sometimes when I get low, I, th I think about it. Using it, if it's sharp enough, will be quick enough. Could you blame me? As much as I would love to say that bullies never got to me or that life never gets me low, that every advance, every attempt to break me only made me stronger, I would be lying a bit. You can't get stronger if you don't know you're weak. You, know, you can't know you're weak until someone shows you that you are. And now you got two choices. You can either get bitter or get better. Because they ain't going to stop. Every time you get away from one, you run right into another. And you, you can pick yourself back up and you can keep moving. That gets harder every time. Or you can get bitter, get infected with the same bitterness that drives these bullies. And boy, that's strong. Especially when it's so easy to become bitter. And so hard to become better. When you're low, it, it has you right in its sights and it's zeroed in like a speeding bullet heading straight for your heart. And it's not temptation. That's different. We all fall for temptation every once in a while. You know, people cheat. People skip out on a diet. People fall off the wagon. With temptation, you can always bounce back. Bitterness is a whole different ballgame. This is anger. And anger festers. It builds and it builds and it makes you feel small. So small. Smaller than I've ever felt on that bus in Beverly Hills. And you don't feel good about who you are as a person. And, and, and you have to be careful because bullies come in all shapes and sizes. I had a friend once who made me feel so bad and would put me down at any chance he got. I didn't know it at first. When I figured it out, it was too late. He was like this leech sucking out my self-esteem. I had to graduate college just to get away from the guy. And I made all types of excuses for him at the time. He never had a good friend before. He's been through a rough childhood. But the fact remains, why should I have to pay for his unresolved issues? Why should I have to suffer because he feels bad about himself? I got no time for toxic people. Toxic people make the bluest skies gray and the gentlest breezes a chilling wind. And I know the power of the wind. I felt its touch in one of my lowest moments. Senior year, high school, promposal time, right? I had a crush on a girl, and it was finally my moment to make my move and get the girl. And I'm a guarded guy, I'll admit that. I'm quiet. I don't do, I don't do big romantic gestures. I don't do big gestures at all. Uh, but this time, I was going to put myself out there, which I had not really done before. I went all out. I mean, I, I made a video, had the teacher play in front of the class. I came in, asked her to prom. Of course, she said, sure, right? But something felt off. As I entered the classroom, her hand had gone up like she was trying to ask the teacher to leave or something. She, she didn't get up to hug me or anything. And I knew right then that something was wrong. I got to her after class. She tells me she doesn't want to go with me, apparently. And I didn't know at the time, but there was somebody else that she was waiting to ask her. And oh, was I heartbroken. Uh, I mean, of course I didn't tell my family what happened. I bottled it up until I couldn't. I told a teacher I was cool with at the time what had happened. And he let me go into his classroom that day when it was empty. And he said, take all the time you need. So during my lunch period, I stormed into the classroom and threw my books down, closed the door, and I was steaming mad. But not at her. There was an agreement between her and somebody else. I, I put her in that situation. I took a shot and missed. You know, I was mad at me because I should have saw it coming. 
You know, I went over to the window and I looked out. And at that moment, there were so many thoughts going through my mind, I, I couldn't even see straight. Then the breeze came. Oh, man, the breeze came. And I can't explain it. But I felt better instantly. And I knew I was going to be okay at that moment. It wasn't even windy that day, but the breeze came and, and I knew. See, a lot of people don't believe in God because you can't see him. You know, don't blame them. A new mass shooting every week. I wouldn't believe in them either, especially with the priest touching little boys. And But I felt him that day. God, God, not the priest. I felt God in that breeze. And I didn't need no church, no guy telling me he exists because of some translation of a translation told him he does because I felt him personally. I felt the devil, too. Had my run-ins with some nasty spirits in my time. Only one brush with God, though, and I ain't never going to forget that. See, God doesn't always act until he needs to. You know, he sets you on the track and your job is to follow it. You know, it ain't always black and white or crystal clear, but all you have to do is stop thinking and follow his path. You know, there was a thing that my track coach used to always say, used to say, stop thinking. When you think, you make mental mistakes, turn into physical mistakes that can cost you a race. It's the same thing when it comes to God. You have to stop thinking because your mind can be your worst enemy. There's six billion people on the planet. He's not going to hold your hand. But when you need him, at your lowest point, he'll be there. Like, like that Beatles song, uh, Let It Be. Mother Mary doesn't come on her own. Who do you think sent Mother Mary? You know, people think God abandoned you. But at that moment, when Paul McCartney needed him the most, God sent his mother to him in a dream, and he writes that song. Now, God trusts you just like a coach would. Now, you're getting your ass handed to you. Sometimes that's a part of the plan. God's got to let you figure it out, and then if you can't, then he'll call a timeout. But you never lose faith in the coach. You have to trust the game plan. He's not on the court playing with you. He's off on the sidelines, and sometimes you can't even see him. And Sometimes he'll just sit in the seat and not even pace around and yell and scream at the refs. Sometimes he'll just sit there quietly like a spectator watching the sport. But you have to trust the game plan. You'll never learn if he bails you out every time. That's not how life works. Now, I'm not one to preach, but you can't tell me that God didn't give me my love of movies and writings. In my darkest times, that's what I always turned to. Even when I didn't even believe in God, I had movies and I had my writings. And he knew that's all I needed to get by. And I know how it looks, okay? 24-year-old black man going to see every movie he can alone. And I mean every movie and I mean alone. I mean Frozen 2, Minions. But when those lights go down, the focus is on the screen. And that, that's who I long to be. The hero that saves the day that defeats the villain that lives happily ever after. And, and that's why I, I want to write, because if I can make someone else feel like they can continue on in life, then, then that's my purpose. You see, the, the Dark Knight is my favorite movie, and it's my favorite movie because it shows you that it doesn't actually matter who someone is. It's what they stand for that means something. But it also shows us that what they stand for can be manipulated. See, Harvey Dent believed that a dawn was coming. He was the white knight that Gotham had been waiting for. He gave people hope for a better and brighter future. 
only to be twisted into Two-Face and kill a bunch of people. And when Batman kills him, he completes what I call a double cross. You see, in the movie, of the movie, Batman is seen as a symbol of false hope, right? A fake sense of security. Dent is the true hope, real change. But at the end, they switch. And Dent becomes a false sense of security, and Batman stands for true hope. The only other movie series that's ever done that is, is Marvel. The original four phases of the MCU, which starts off as Tony Stark as this selfish, egotistical, womanizing maniac, and, and Chris Evans is uh, Captain America, is such a goody two shoes, follow the rules, stay in the lines, selfless person. And even have a scene in Avengers where, where, where uh, Steve Rogers looks at Tony and says, you, You're not the guy to make the suicide play to lay down on the wire and let the, let the other guy walk over you. And Tony says, I probably just cut the wire. And well, in Adventures Endgame, they complete the switch in which Tony let the other guy walk over him. He commits suicide or to save everybody and save the galaxy and defeat Thanos. And Steve is supposed to return the Infinity Stones and come back to be Captain America. Well, he doesn't come back to be Captain America. He grows old and has his own life and makes a selfish choice. And Tony makes the selfless choice. Tony had it all. He had the family, the wife, the kid. He had everything that he wanted, but he ended up knowing this was going to kill him, come back and make a selfless choice to save the day and kill Thanos and get bring everybody back. Yada, yada, yada. This is a double cross. And, you know, it's like any famous figure, right? I mean, Walt Disney, for starters, who hasn't been touched by a Disney movie. I mean, that name stands for inspiration and following your dreams to just about everyone all over the world. I, I believe every word of those films, though neither of the Disney brothers would ever hire my black ass to make a movie, but it's what they stood for and, and what the Disney name continues to stand for that outweighs the reality of who they were because they're just human beings, two people who lived, worked, and died. I'm not saying they were bad people. I'm not sure who I'd be if I was born in the early 1900s, late 1800s like they were. I just hope I was white if I was born at that time. Oh, and don't start groaning and moaning. Oh, he doesn't want to be black. He doesn't like his people. I've heard it all before. If God would pull me aside before I was born and ask what race I wanted to be, of course I wouldn't choose black in a million years. And you wouldn't either judge me, act all high and mighty. Now, nobody's life is easy, but it just feels so much harder being black, especially in America. Every day, another challenge, every turn of the road, have people fear you just because of the color of your skin, have people hate you just because they believe their race is better than and, and the pressures of being black. Forget about it. You got to be beyond perfect. It's picking up the slack for everyone else that society deems unacceptable. You have to pay the price for people wanting to sack your pants and show their ass or talk about drugs, women and sex and their music. No, white people don't have that burden. They get judged on an individual basis. I get judged on a racial basis. Whatever music they listen to, it's assumed that I do too. The, you know, so, so yes, God pulls me aside before I'm born and lays out a choice. So I'm not choosing black. Now, 24 years have gone by and, and, and I've seen all the races firsthand, black, white, Mexican, Chinese, Indian, Japanese. And now you give me the choice to switch up or stay black. Well, I don't know if I'd give up that this so quickly. Now, every race has its things. And yes, the grass is always greener, right? But boy, let me tell you something about being black. It is the most rewarding experience one can have because you learn so much more. There's never instilled in you one ounce of quit. You don't have to pretend to be so tough all the time because you come from a people who were the first on this planet and have been everything from slaves to presidents. And you don't have to prove a damn thing to nobody. 
There is only one race that can go from being slaves in the country to the president of that country and piss everybody off so much they have to bring in a racist to undo the, the good that black people have done. So yeah, being black is hard, but I wouldn't give it up for anything in the world. What race would you choose? I guess that boils down to who you are. As much as I love Imagine Dragons, that's not my culture. I might be weird, but I'm still black. Might not be from the hood, but I'm still black. Might not, might have went to all white schools, but I'm still black. Ain't no better reminder of what you are than to be in a place that you will never fit in, no matter how hard you try. I do want to marry a white woman, though, not going to lie. <laughs> But we all need heroes. Black people need Denzel, Kevin Hart. Trans people need Laverne Cox, Elliot Page. White people need George Washington. And they're all people, and not everybody's going to like it, and they ain't always going to be perfect, just like me and you, but they are a promise. Like the tragedy of Macbeth. Macbeth was told by the fates what would happen, right? That he would become king by killing the king, uh, who he loved, but that Banquo's heir would take his throne and he took active steps to avoid what they said would happen and each step led him right to the very tragic outcome that the fates had predicted his own death now my life I, my whole life i've pictured this perfect family and my whole life i've watched it crumble in front of me and, and every step my father took to make that perfect family reality led us farther apart and, and i feel for him more than myself because i know he wants it more than i do he's 50 years old and if i can give him anything for his birthday i would give him that but I can't. I, I know it's not possible. I'm happy he has his grandchildren and his son back in his life. I'm happy his oldest came back. But but I still dream about it. You know, I, I, I can't escape that dream. I don't know what there is to be upset about, though. I think that's why me and my father always bonded over movies. Because no matter what, for the most part, they always end happy. Resolved. Because life isn't filled with resolution. It's hanging awkwardness and palpable tension. The tighter you hold on to something, the more they seem to want to break free. But I still have that dream. Life ain't perfect, though. My problem is I keep trying to be. I just wish the world would see me as perfect. It's funny. The more I try to be perfect, the more people try to make me see that I'm not. The more facts I speak, the more pushback I get. Now, I don't know if that's their insecurities or mine, but I don't get it. Everyone preaches be yourself, but no one actually wants you to be yourself. Or they want you to be a version of yourself that is happy with mediocrity. And I won't be mediocre. I'd be damned if they ain't writing books about me long after I'm dead. I want the whole shebang. The movies, the documentaries, the real Walt Disney treatment. Everyone remembers him. No one remembers Cap Calloway, though. Great singer, performer in the 1920s, 30s. Many of the Moocher, Betty Boop cartoons. He faded into oblivion. And I never want that. They say family's all you need, but you get far enough down the family tree and they'll forget you too. There's nobody alive telling that Alexander the Great is their great, 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 great grandfather. They probably don't even know that he was, but they still teach him in history class. Maybe I won't have kids, just legacy. I want to leave behind a footprint in cement, not sand. It's hard to tell the difference between the two, though. And that's the thing. I can't control how people remember me, if they remember me, or how they remember me. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And I don't have to name names to make that point stick. How will I die? A villain or a hero? 
And I guess it's all about who controls the narrative, right? Hugh Hefner ran the Playboy Mansion. He died. He died a hero. Walt died a hero. Michael Jackson will die a hero to one group of people and a villain to another. Citizen Kane debuted in the 1940s and was a bomb at the box office, mostly due to Hurt's disruption. It was re-released in the 50s and became the greatest movie ever made. And that's what I mean right there. William Randolph Hearst went out of his way and destroyed the movie, and he did. He failed in the long run, but the fact that one man can do so much damage is the exact reason why this society is so broken. Just look at the system in place. When it's all said and done, your Second Amendment right will cost you over $1,000 when the fees and classes and the gun itself, and then the bullets and the lockbox and the shooting range and the permits and this and that. Small price to pay for protection, I guess. It's, just, it's your constitutional right. Want a car? Gotta get a loan from the bank. And that's if they will approve one for you. And that car company wants you to buy the most expensive packages they have. Maintenance and total loss, etc., etc. I remember we were in the meeting to sign the paperwork and the guy helping us was so nice until we re-rejected all these expensive-ass packages and he got cold real quick. I mean, started being condescending, like I wasn't 23 getting my first car, like I could afford all this stuff. I walked out with a basic of a basic model, then you got to get the insurance, the registration, the license. All, it's, it's, a 30, it's 30 bucks just to get a license made in California. It, it's a piece of plastic, for God's sake. It's $200 to renew your registration. My question is, why do you have to renew the registration in the first place? You want my registration to expire for two years. I don't care if it expires or not. That's like me wanting to paint my apartment and charging my apartment building for the paint. I, I have a subscription to Regal Cinemas. Big movie chain, right? I pay $23 a month for free movies. But if I if the theater I go to has reclining seats, I have to pay an extra dollar. I don't mind paying for premium format. Between me and you, I think it's a scam, but I'll pay. Why do I have to pay extra for reclining seat? Damn it, if it's just a dollar, a dollar can go a long way. Reclining seats are a staple at just about every major movie theater, and they don't charge extra for it. Now, if I go to a movie every weekend, I'm paying $27 a month instead of the agreed upon 23 And that's what I'm talking about. They just nickel and dime you till the cows come home. It's ridiculous. That's an extra 4 bucks a month at minimum. Multiply that by 12 That's how much I have to pay for their decision to charge me for them putting recliner seats in their theaters. I go to a theater without reclining seats just so I don't have to pay that dollar. And oh, and they charge me for ordering a ticket through the app. They have the nerve to charge a premier member, a Regal Cinemas member who is paying $23.50 a month, an extra dollar to order a ticket through an app. Like it costs more. This system is one big scam. You know, I lived in Long Beach. I paid $209 for car insurance. I moved 40 miles to LA closer to the city and my company wanted to raise my premium over a hundred bucks more and the sad part is that it was still cheaper than what most of the other insurance companies wanted me to pay and thank god my parents have good medical insurance no wonder people are still living with their parents at 30 i went to school for four years i got a degree i moved out to the epicenter of my industry which my degree is in and i still can't find a job why should i have to start at an entry level isn't that the whole point of a the a degree to skip the entry level? If I wanted to get people water for the next eight years, I wouldn't have gone to school. I got in the debt to skip that level. But now most of the population can get a bachelor's degree online, so it doesn't matter anymore, does it? 
The big schools make it hard to get into because they're so expensive and they don't offer scholarships. Forget about Ivy League if you ain't rich and a genius. And most of these colleges offer programs with no pipeline to help you get a job. They say go to a small school so that you can get to know your professors and all the people that, that make it are teaching at UCLA. So what do I get stuck with? Don't get me wrong. I like my professors. They helped me any way they could, but they couldn't help me get a job. They taught me some things that make me, make me a better writer. But if I wanted tips, I'd read a screenplay book. You, you, you don't go to college to learn tips and tricks. You go to college to get a job, to get ahead, to make connections, to be around a supportive environment. And oh yeah, to get a leg up. And yeah, to get a job. Well, my college experience was zero for three. That environment wasn't supportive. It was competitive, toxic. I went to school for screenwriting, not something tangible, but I think I speak for a lot of people when I say the college system has become a greedy, CV exploitative, debt-making machine built on hedge funds and yet another tunnel of empty promises, a dark, dark tunnel some people can't get out of. I mentioned I got into NYU earlier. After my sophomore year of college, I, I transferred in into their prestigious dramatic writing program. On the website, it even says they don't take transfers in bold. But I got in. I was able to transfer. Like my grades, sure, but more importantly, my samples. They thought it was time for me to go and compete with the rising stars of the industry. Now, these are the people. Talk about a pipeline. These are the people that are going to go and make it in the industry. All we had to do was give them $60,000 a year, and I would have come out over $180,000 in debt, but I would have been on easy street into the industry. You know NYU looks good on a resume. And they have a huge pipeline of former grads who have made it in the industry, including some of their professors, that are guaranteed to try to help you get in. But no scholarships offered, no grants, straight up one big loan. And back in the little pond I go. Obscurity. All because I wasn't rich. Why should I have been punished for some suit at NYU admissions who didn't want to offer me any money? Imagine how that might have made my parents feel. Inadequate, probably. They did the best they could to provide, and their son gets the opportunity of a lifetime, and they can't afford to pay it. I got into the New York Film Academy, too. They never even saw my grades before they were on the phone with me. Talk about a red flag. You, you, you want to know the worst part? The worst part is that when you get into a college, they send you gifts. Now, the New York Film Academy bag, I didn't mind. It's a nice bag. That NYU pamphlet. Purple book that said welcome on the front. Now, that hurt. To be so close to everything you've ever wanted and have it ripped from you because of a corrupted, soulless business that doesn't care about passion or talent, only money. Why do they charge so much anyway? I'm sure the city gives them a deal on the buildings. I mean, is, is it for books? Like, get digital copies. I'm sure the equipment is donated. Like, what are you really paying for but teacher salaries, electric bills, and a name on a degree? I still have that pamphlet, though. I look through it every once in a while to see all the pictures, the beautiful campus, the wonderful city, a prestigious institution that turned out the likes of Spike Lee and saw my samples and thought that I was good enough to be considered amongst the likes of him. Finally, I felt like I was good enough that, and to have to go into my room, log into NYU admissions, and click no, I don't want to go. I don't think anyone will ever understand what that feels like. To hold that pamphlet in your hand and to have it like a dream that you want so badly, a melody you for 
everyone is saying. I could hear that music ever so faintly coming from inside the banquet hall of winners and to have to shut the door in my own face only because of finances. But I understand. It's a hard knock life for me. I'm not bitter about any of it. Just don't blame my generation for messing up the world when we're struggling to get a foothold in the motherfucker. We didn't make this world so cold. We're just dealing with it. LA is a big city and I can count on my hands the number of times random acts of kindness have happened to me. Millions of people in this city and I can count on one hand. One time I was stopped at a red light and a lady pulled up beside me and told me to lower my window. And I ain't never seen this lady before and, I, and yet she told me to lower my window. And I did and told me to have a good day. And she drove off. Where's that been all my life? Everybody's walking around, frowning in their faces, yelling and screaming at one another, ignoring who we can. I, I, I don't do much acts of kindness myself, so I really can't complain. And I try to be nice, polite. And every day I try, but I guess I've just had too many negative experiences to open up and tell someone to roll down their window and have a good day. I remember back in Jersey, I was probably 18 at the time, my father got me an internship at his work, you know, not law enforcement, but toll booths, you know, overnight shift, 10 p.m., 6 a.m. Now, imagine that, 18, home for the summer, and I, I got to work nights at some toll booth. God bless my father, first time he got me a job, it was delivering frozen chickens with him, and that was like a 6 a.m. to whenever, you know. Uh, I was ungrateful back then, though, but back at the tolls, one day I got home from and, and noticed yellow road paint all over the side of my car. See, the bridge where I worked at a construction team must have been out in the parking lot filling up the paint when it sprayed and got on my car, I guess. I won't know because they never told me what happened. Uh, I was annoyed about the paint when I found it, but I wasn't angry. You know, didn't take it personal. One morning, I walk into my car, 6 a.m., and I see a group of construction guys talking out in the parking lot, and older white men, all of them. And I go over and ask them what happened politely. You know, I'm 18, skinny. I ain't no threat to nobody. And they circle me like a bunch of vultures. And I mean, full 360. I mean, they started getting loud and coming at me from all sides, trying to make me think that the paint was my fault and that, that I had somehow drove through wet paint and it covered the entire side of my car. Like, that's possible. And they started getting loud, and, and, and we were going back and forth until I walked away, of course, just in shock how, how that escalated so quickly. Why would these grown men just start yelling at an 18-year-old kid over a mistake they made? My senior year of college, a similar thing happened with that basketball coach. You know, I pulled him aside, told him how I felt a bit disrespected by him you know, from time to time. And he just goes off the deep end. I mean, he starts yelling and screaming at me. I, I mean, that one hurt hard, too. It brought tears to my eyes to see him flip that switch like that. I never saw that one coming. He tried to call me back into his office and lay down the law and said he's the boss and I'm below him. And so I told him I've been here for four years busting my ass and I deserve him some respect. And it's a shame ego has to ruin friendships like snow wilting a flower in the winter. All I want is some respect. That's all. I don't want to be nobody's boss or to have my ass kissed. I just want a little respect. I guess that's an impossible ask no one understands what it's like to be a skinny unappealing black man and to be ignored everywhere you go people act like I, I don't exist people talk over you they interrupt you and I, I ain't talking strangers i gotta yell and scream to get my own family to take me seriously on anything and and you're always wrong oh yeah everyone else gets an opinion but not me i have a degree in screenwriting i studied the craft of writing i've been writing for most of my life. I've worked in the freaking business professionally, and yet people still think they know movies better than me. That's like arguing with a doctor if I have to do a surgery or give a prescription. Like the one thing I have on this earth, and people still won't respect my opinion on it. I guess all I really want is for people to just shut up and listen for one fucking second. To get out of their own ass and actually care 
about what I have to say about something. Now ask yourself this. Would you trust people if these things happen to you? Would you even like people? People just see me and they assume all these things. Uh, but it's not about what they assume. It's about me not fitting into their assumptions. So I would do anything that I wanted, but I can't sacrifice my dignity to fit in with a crowd. It's about respect, not cool. When you're respected, people don't say just whatever they want around you. They, they want you to like them. They invite you out. They make you feel included. And I've been trying to feel included my whole life to belong to some group of people. You know, back in grade school, the white kids used to call me an Oreo, you know, black on the outside, white on the inside. I never took offense to it. Truth is, I never wanted to be what they considered black. And trust me, being black in an all-white school ain't what you think. You're under a microscope. So you, you didn't want to be what they considered black. That was clear. I remember one time, sixth grade, maybe, you, know, you had to wait at the end of the day until they called you by bus or parent pickup so you can leave. And I, I hear my call, and I go over to my friend, black kid, uh, as well, and I give him a fist bump. And the teacher just snaps. I mean, she just yells, what was that? And the other teacher was there, and she said, that's what they do, you know, both white ladies, right? And I didn't know I did anything wrong. I didn't know what I did wrong. But all I know is they made me stand there and wait. Now, I could have missed my bus. But I had to be punished for giving that fist bump. And I liked these ladies. I had nothing against them. They, 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 they were my teachers. So from that moment on, being black just wasn't an option. Can't be white, though. But I didn't realize it at the time. But it had nothing to do with being black. It had everything to do with black culture. You know, that's the difference. They didn't want black culture spilling into their school. Where they go to mass every first Friday and praise Jesus and, and equality. But black culture was not to be accepted. But I, I went along with it. I did what I needed to to survive and the funny part was i never i was never trying to be black or white i was just trying to be me now to be fair in the 2000s black culture changed i used to love watching the bt awards and seeing all these accomplished black people showcasing their talents i'm classy man i mean but but that changed it went from full suits to t-shirts and saggy pants they went from clean cut to crazed twists and tattoos and the whole show became one big bleep fest all the songs were so explicit. The outfit the performers were wearing showed both ass cheeks and everybody was twerking. And, and now if that's black culture, then okay. I mean, I will support it, but I cannot be a part of it. Why? Because I don't fit. But that's the problem being black. You never feel like you fit. People talk down to you, assume you don't know things, are uneducated, are surprised when you speak with diction, and even more so threatened when you do. Now, no education. You're beneath them. Too much education and you think you're too good for them and you can't be proud of your history. You sold off into slavery by your own people, tortured, raped, beaten, what so have you. And did you know that Virginia only entered the American Revolution because they were afraid that Great Britain was going to abolish slavery? And another race had to go to war with itself just for you to be free. Then people destroyed Reconstruction, uh, replaced it with Jim Crow, followed that with the Civil Rights Movement, and that's great. Then they off those guys one by one. Then the crack epidemic. Then murder of the, the leader of the Black Panthers. Now they now the pandemic. And who's supposed to lead us now? Who are we supposed to be? How can you possibly know who you are when you have no foundational basis because they've taken it away from you? And I never understood why I had to be a race. Why couldn't I just be me? You know, why I'm out in public with a white woman and she's getting nasty stares from other white people. I never called the white kids black. 
I never got mad when they acted like spoiled privilege stereotypes I see on TV. I never got mad when they acted black either. You know, the teachers never made them stay after class for waving goodbye. And, and you want to know why black people are so traumatized by living in America because we don't trust you because you don't respect us. And it's not just white people. And I went to a, another barbershop up in college as well. They were Puerto Ricans this time. They treated me just as bad. Didn't speak to me. Sat, I sat there in silence. Then he just, and then the barber just pushed me out the chair. I mean, literally thumbed me out the chair. Stopped going to my black barbers back at home because they were being rude. I asked to see the back of my head in the mirror, which is a regular thing. And the barber had the nerve to tell me he didn't know how to do that. Imagine growing up in a household where you can't trust anybody either. Then imagine a school. Then imagine a whole state. Now imagine a whole planet. And it's got to be me. I have to be the problem. I, I, I don't know who I am and I'm always trying to just survive. Be yourself, they say. All the famous people, you know. So I do. This movie-loving, star-crossed, pop and country music listening, hopeless romantic who speaks his mind and tries to be nice and respectful to everybody. And I end up alone Every time. So here we are. I can't go back to a hostile work environment. Can't find another job. Money's running low. I always feel like my time's running short. I, I, I'm alone in this big city. Came out here to chase a dream and I found a nightmare. Where do I go now? All I have is this bottle of alcohol, my Hamilton hat, and my dad's knife. I got you, who sat here and listened to this whole almost two-hour speech, but you aren't real. No, you're an imaginary audience for an imaginative fool. My only friend is this bottle of inebriation. The only thing that can bring me a night's sleep, prepare me for another day and another struggle. My only solace, my Hamilton hat, the only thing that holds me and keeps me warm when the bitter cold sets in. And my only escape this knife, six inches in depth, sharp to the touch. My only protection from the evil people outside this door. A quick way out of the pain life has caused me. I could open my phone, turn to social media, stalk some old crushes, look at some old friends. See how they've moved on, gone forward with their lives, married, maybe, good job. Forward. No one ever looks back. I just wish they would turn around for a second. Just to look over their shoulders and give me a smile. That's all I want. Is a smile too much to ask? Like that lady told me to have a good day. Now she gave me a little light in a dark world. Now I tried doing that to people. When the pandemic hit, I reached out to a bunch of old friends. See how they were holding up. Do you know how many of them reached back? Because you can't look back. Maybe I should leave LA. It's been three years. Ain't nothing happened. I ain't happy. I'm in constant pain of all types. I came out here looking for my, my New York in the 40s on 52nd Street for musicians or, or New York in the 70s for artists or, or Nashville today, but for filmmakers, you know, where you just see people making art left and right and you just sit and watch people make their movie and one day you offer to help and they say, of course, come on, help out. But not this place. It's cold. For a city with 70 degree weather, it's cold it's bitter it's lonesome for a place with so many people it's expensive for a place named after angels maybe i'll try new york hell i can barely pay my rent out here maybe atlanta that's a hot bed fragile but cheap or maybe i'll just go home I haven't been back in years so many people i haven't seen so many things i've missed i'd go back a failure but at least i'd be safer wouldn't be living my dream but I learned to be content, you know, maybe even happy if enough years went by. Who am I kidding? I'd hate myself for the rest of my life. Funny, ain't it?
I'm a small town kid with the dream of creating worlds, and yet I'm writing about a small town. Now, maybe it's me that's the problem. Maybe I'm so out of touch with reality that, that I, I make it impossible to fit in. Maybe I'm too out of touch with myself. I like to think I'm this deep intellectual, but truth is I'm not. You know, I tried to be, went out, bought the Iliad, Odyssey, and the Aeneid. Only got halfway through the Iliad before I stopped. Then I bought a collection of Henry David Thoreau's works. Only got halfway through Walden Pond. Still display them in my apartment, though. Not like anyone's ever going to see them. No one ever comes over to see my lies. I know I'm the problem walking around here listening to Sammy Davis. Like, who listens to Sammy Davis? Old people, that's who. And because of that, I've missed out on what everyone else my age is into. I don't follow their artists, their lifestyles. I, I mean, all I do is go to the movies. I don't even think the same. And I want to, I really do, but I can't. People just go around this earth doing whatever. No goals, no ambition, just waiting for their lives to take shape. But no one ever tries to mold them. They're just okay with being shapeless. And I know everyone else is trying to survive. But is anyone trying to lead? Just because someone's popular doesn't mean it's right. And just because everyone else is saying something doesn't mean you have to. We learn these things as kids. Did we forget them? Are we capable of thinking for ourselves? Of actually turning on a certain stand-up special and listening to it with open ears and minds? Sometimes I doubt it. I doubt that people are actually trying to better themselves. To make an effort every day to be better than they were the last. Everyone says they're working on themselves, but I don't see the improvement. And, and do you know why people don't work on themselves like they say they do? Because every time you fix one problem, two more pop up. Because we're all just problems, right? And it's easier to ignore problems than to fix them. So is it my fault I don't fit in or is it theirs? I'm not using being human as an excuse to make avoidable mistakes. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I've gotten so good at pointing out my own problems that now... That spilled over into noticing everyone else's. And man, I must be a prick. To meet me on the street must be like meeting a grumpy asshole. No wonder 9 out of 10 people can't fucking stand me. No wonder I can't stand me. And I don't want to live that way. But the saddest part is that I can't stop looking down on people. They have so many problems and they refuse to even acknowledge it. People could be so much better if they wanted to be. If they just put the work in. But work is hard and people don't want to work. They want to be left to their own devices. And who am I to take away someone's happiness? Just a grumpy asshole. Maybe it's time for me to just roll out like the Mississippi. Rick and Morty has an idea I would like to try. You know, Rick told his daughter one time to take the saddle off her universe. You know, Let it buck itself out. That's a concept, right? Just take off. No one knows where you are. No note. Just leave. Won't concern you anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I do it. I'm saying I would love to do it. One day I'm here and the next day, gone. But what type of man would I be? Truth is, my universe wouldn't buck itself out. Not just gone without me. It would wait for me to return. All my problems would just eat me alive. So here it is. My dad's knife. One of my lucky objects. Look at it. Not the prettiest of things. But that's a sharp blade. That'll get the job done. The Joker in the Dark Knight says he prefers knives. You know, they're more intimate. The guns are too quick. With a knife, you can see who a person really is right before they die. Looking into it now, I think I can see it. You know, who I really am. You know, every time they knock me down, I get back up. Like Denzel said, fall down seven times, get up eight. I've fallen down so many times. And each time, it takes a little more effort for me to get the fuck up. And I don't know if I have the effort this time. 
Maybe I only got eight lives, not nine. Maybe the eighth time is too much. But what else did Denzel say? He said, without commitment, you'll never start. Without discipline, you'll never finish. Oh, and I feel like there's been something that started the moment I was born. You know, I wasn't breathing when I was born. Came out, no sound. They whisked me away. Born dead, you know. I, I, I came back to her alive. But, but maybe, just maybe, that set all of this in motion. By defying death, I made a deal with it. Set me on a certain path that no matter how hard I try, no matter how much I pray, it's my destiny to end my own life. There's no escaping death. We all got to die, but maybe it's my fate to end at my own hand. Most people can find the strength to keep living on. Me? I just don't have it anymore. And I, I just don't see why I should. It's all so clear to me now. All I see are signs. The constant pain in my body, my inability to get any traction in my career, to get a girlfriend, someone who keeps me as warm and makes me as lucky as his Hamilton hat. I don't understand this world. I can't find my place in it. I don't understand why people let their own insecurities overtake them so much. I don't get why people can't think for themselves. I don't know why we accept mediocrity and disrespect. Why people aren't striving for greatness. My money's running low. Time's always running short. The average lifespan of a black man in America is 79 years, but maybe I'm not supposed to live that long. Think about it. My dad literally handed me the tool of my own demise. This knife, this lucky knife that always finds itself back to me. This Hamilton hat, a story of a man who longed to overcome his surroundings and strive to be great, but no one understood him. No one liked him, and even his longtime friend killed him because Hamilton called out his own lack of conviction. If that doesn't sound like me, I don't know what does. That is the perfect symbol for my life. This bottle of alcohol, the only thing that numbs the pain. I drink and I drink to survive the night and gather my strength for the next day. But tonight is a different feel, doesn't it? Tonight I'm not drinking to gather my strength. I am drinking to numb the pain so I don't feel a thing. How poetic. To be born dead and to die young. So raise your glass to freedom. Something they will always try to take away. No matter how hard you fight. You will let them. As I look into this knife now, I realize what it's all been about. My entire life has been leading to this moment. Let's look at my choices. Go back to a job I hate, a place I feel demeaned and disrespected until I find another job with new bullies and new disrespect, new problems to fix, because there's always problems to fix. Continue living in a society in which I do not fit in, with people I do not understand, and if some disease doesn't kill me, these people will, or this knife. A swift end handed to me by my own hero. A fulfillment of a pact made at my birth when I defied death. Now I must summon it. Usually I listen to my heart instead of my head, but my head tells me to press on. To ride into the valley of death. Cannon the left of them. Cannon the right of them. Volley and thunder. But my heart tells me another story. It tells me what I knew to be true all along. That my life is nothing more than a movie. Meant for the enjoyment of others, not for the pleasure of the character. And it tells me now that this is how my story must end. There's a lesson in every movie, and if I end it now, what will my lesson be? The lesson that always kept me going from the dark night. The darkest, darkest just before the dawn, but maybe I should have taken away another lesson. That we either die a hero or live long enough to see ourselves become the villain. Am I the hero or the villain? Is this where my story ends? It's cinematic enough. Poetic, really. Or is this knife a symbol of something else? This hat? Are they symbols that there is strength, even in the smallest of objects? That no matter how many times you get lost, you can be found only if you believe you can. 
Is this hat a symbol of one man's journey from obscurity to legend? It's a lesson that no matter the obstacles you face, you can overcome and make an impact on this world, no matter how short a life you may live. This knife, given to me by my own father, a symbol that, even in the dysfunction of this world, that can seem so vast, so scary, I always have a piece of a home to keep me safe. Are the celebrities right? Is all I need to do is get up one more time? Is God here with me right now? Are you God? An audience he sends only to listen to me vent about the harshness of this world and my own reality so that I, this lonely shell of a man, can have someone to talk to? Is being born dead defying it or thwarting it? For even as a baby I had the strength to overcome its grasp, and all its numerous attempts to drag me down were mere footsteps on my journey to self-discovery and greatness. Is my isolation only temporary? Is that life I crave, that family I seek, is it out there, in the ethos, and I simply need to just be alive long enough to seize it? Will I one day understand this world and its people? Will they ever accept me for who I am? Will I they? Do my answers lie in the void of oblivion or in the protection of safety that I long for but never seem to grasp, as they are both myths? One is ridiculous as the other. For oblivion and safety are locked in constant battle in life as I am with this knife and hat. Are they symbols of my demise and my future? If I take my life now, what is the lesson? That there will be no dawn? That the darkness is too much to bear? Is that all I am to stand for? Or shall I give it just another 30 days? Thank you.